Today's episode of the Rough Drafts podcast is brought to you by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. Their esports book covers all of your favorite titles, including League of Legends. Bet for free with Unicorns, which you can use to enter raffles for gaming prizes, and even earn Unicorns just by playing your favorite games. Some regions can even place real money bets. And while you're there, be sure to check out the esports news page, where you could read great articles from their writing staff including me, host Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. It's time to put your eSports expertise to the test. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Redshirt King Manifesto. It is time to break down the last set of games that we're going to have this weekend. Uh, we're going to look at Group A here. I am actually right now in between games of Group D. I'm assuming that as I am saying this, Flash Wolves are throwing a game to TSM and finishing 0-6 in Taiwan. And I'm so confident in this, I'm putting it on a podcast because there's I'm, I'm letting you know ahead of time that this is absolutely going to happen. And I am sure that no one is going to be in the comments telling me, ha, 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 uh, you were wrong because this has just been the way the Group D is going. But the good news is Group A has been a lot more fun to me to, to kind of see the, how the top teams have evolved. Not so much the bottom teams. I, I think unlike a group like Group D where like everyone in that group had an interesting storyline to me or Group C where it felt like the top three teams were all so good and it was just a matter of who was going to get out, Group A feels pretty solved. And it solved itself in a lot of ways thanks to EDG just not really showing up. And you know what? Let's just start with EDG. We have to start with this 0-3 team, these Chinese champions at a world in which we're seeing Chinese teams actually do quite good on the world championship stage, actually take big wins when it matters most. We're not seeing that happen right now. And it's important to kind of figure out why, why is EDG failing where so many of these other teams have succeeded? And to be honest, the first thing that stands out to me is just ego. It's just ego. Scout has been cocky as all hell this entire tournament. And it's frustrating to me because I know the guy's talented. I think it's clear to anyone watching that he is a mechanically talented player. Some of the out trades that he goes for are quite nice. Uh, you see that when he has particularly locked in on this Lucian pick, very mobile, a lot of outplay potential, a lot of roaming potential, and he executes these things mechanically well, but he's so greedy. He has to make the big play all of the time, right? He can't settle for a more passive laning phase, getting his resources up, letting opportunities create themselves. He feels like he has to be the one making a play right away. And that's come back to haunt them in a big way against Cloud9. 
And you saw that Cloud9 was just able to punish him because he kept overextending. And whenever you saw contracts come into his lane, there was an opportunity for a, a nice skank there. And it meant that an early game that should have been in EDG's favor, they ended up just going even and then Cloud9 could kind of snowball things from there. And that's a problem when you're a team that relies upon this style of snowballing an early game, getting your skirmishes to the right spot so that you can take these quick wins. Um, I, I think it's telling that in a region in which we're seeing teams like RNG and Team WE regularly get sub-30-minute wins, Edward Gaming right now has a 45.6-minute average game time. That is ridiculous. It's, it's way too high. It's way too slow. It's not the way that they want to play the game. It's not like, oh, yeah, they were the slowest team in China, too. They were well-known for being quick in China. And, and it, it is coming down to their potential being artificially slowed when players like Scout are making unnecessary mistakes, taking these unnecessary deaths. They're funneling so much into his lane, too. Like, he has a, right now, a 390 gold differential at 10 minutes. That's among the highest of, of any player at this event, if not the highest among mid laners. I actually had to check this out. It's, he is the highest among players that have played a whole three games. Uh, Haru and Shawi each played one, and so they have slightly higher gold differentials, but obviously it's very easy to do it in one game, hard to do it over the course of three. He's done it over three. That's really impressive in theory, and it's a testament to where EDG thinks that their strength as an organization lies. They believe that if they get Scout ahead, it's going to pay off these huge dividends. But if you're dying, especially unnecessary, unforced error deaths, which is what I, I describe a lot of those deaths in lane, especially in the game against Cloud9, but also against AHQ, where he was so far ahead of Westor and should have been able to capitalize on it immensely, but he was impatient. He was rushing for things. It, you know, maybe it's nerves. It's possible that it's nerves, but I feel like that's making an excuse at this point. Like, I'm trying to come up with some other attribute other than just sheer cockiness, sheer overconfidence to explain what Scott's been doing. But I, I honestly think he just enters every game under the impression that he is going to be the best player on the Rift like, he believes he's better than Jensen. He believes he's better than Westor. And for the record, uh, he may be better than both of those players from a purely mechanical basis. Uh, Jensen's closer to me. Westor, obviously not very good. But it doesn't... The, the thing that he misses when you make these kinds of errors is that it's not about who the individual best player is. It's about being the best team. And you cannot afford when your team spends so much into getting you ahead to then throw that away for an unnecessary play that doesn't work out or, or being so far pushed up without vision that you are so easily punished. And I do think it is, it's interesting to note, EDG's actually placed more words per minute than any team. And I, I don't think I would have guessed that for the life of me. I... It feels like they don't place words where it matters most. I think a lot of those words came against uh, SKT, and I think it was one of the reasons why that early game did go very well compared to where a lot of these other games had gone. I, I'm so 
frustrated because the talent is clearly there. And, and you know, we can get into, you know, clear love obviously hasn't looked as good on international play as he, as he did in regional play. I know you're shocked. Everyone's shocked. Ha, ha, ha. I, I get it. It's frustrating and it's unfortunate, but that's just kind of what happens with him. His gank paths have not been as consistent. And I do think the fact that he's focused so much on this mid lane has hurt the sideways quite a bit. Iboy's actually done pretty well. I, I know that he's getting a lot of flack right now because he's had some a, a couple bad positioning moments in, in a couple of team fights that mattered, but he's got a higher playmaking potential right now than anyone on this team other than Scout, and I haven't seen him make nearly as many unforced mistakes, I would say, as, as what Scout's been doing. And I, I think that Mouse... I mean, he's he's coming in after the lighting phase at a negative 380 goal differential at 10 minutes, despite playing champions that shouldn't be struggling that much early. He's not great. He's fine. Like, if Mouse is your third best player, you're probably in a good spot. But unfortunately, we're, we're on a team right now where Mako has looked great and continues to look great, and I think will continue to look great. I think there's a reason he has his massive fan club over there, and I think his engage potential has been quite nice. Um, he, he provides a lot of disengage for his team when they, when they need that. He can do basically anything they want him to. Um, and I, I think ultimately it's, it's just that these, these solo laners, this veteran jungler, they're just... They're just letting these guys down. And, and of course, you know, we have to address the elephant in the room, which is that the one time in which all of these frustrating elements that I'm bringing up wasn't the case was when this team went up against SK Telecom. Against SK Telecom, they genuinely won that game. They, uh, in all, all intents and purposes, that should have been game over. It was an 11,000 gold lead. It was an absurd number of things had gone right. It was a, a, you know, everything about what you would want from this team as far as getting these early plays, as far as taking advantage of the moments, picking your battles. And I think that, you know, unfortunately they got SKT'd, right? The one thing they couldn't do was group up as a five-man unit and have SKT pull off three straight like you know perfect ult layered by perfect ult layered by perfect ult with so much hard cc and, and everything on the line it's it's unfortunate it's also not surprising this is what skt does you need to have the game one before this and they'd gotten an inhibitor at the 23 minute mark and it just felt like they, they were a little bit scared. They, they held on a little bit, little bit too long to, to take advantage of some of these things. But even then, like they, they had plenty of moments in which they could have come back and, and won this game. And it just, they were not able to team fight as consistently as they needed to to win that game. And, I, you know, I get why they were then tilted against Cloud9. I get it. Like from an emotional level, I understand why this team is struggling. But unfortunately, uh, your emotions are not what's going to be written down in the record book. What's going to go down in the record book is that they blew a game they had no business losing against an AHQ team that is not very good against a Bramblevest Corky of all things. 
and I don't, I don't think history is going to look fondly on that one at all. Um, I can't believe that they threw that game, but th there we are. They threw a game in the late game, then they threw a second game in the late game, but even worse because it was against SKT, and, and the early game had been even sharper than uh, it had been in this kind of drawn-out affair against uh, AHQ, and then they just threw any hopes away against Cloud9. I don't know. Like, I, it, it frustrates me. And I, I really, I, I think I'm holding up to a lot of the um, flaws that I saw in the Cloud9 game because of the ones that particularly stand out as, as the mental problems most clearly coming into focus. But, I mean, at this point, like EDG has almost certainly nothing but pride to play for. I, I, I think that this is a group in which they're going to need, you know, they have to go 3-0 and, and get some help. And I don't know that they're going to get enough help because I, I don't think that the, the next team we're going to talk about is very good. But, you know, hopefully they can at least get some, some pride back for their, their home region. Hopefully they can at least, you know, put up a nice show in front of the crowd and, and you know, remind people why they're here and why they did win China. Because while we're praising RNG and we're praising Team WE for these explosive early games, these really nice, sharp moments uh, in which they're just able to get every skirmish that they want, Edward was doing that, but then also getting these this more intelligent macro rotations to really take the most out of it that they could. Um, I think their decisiveness instincts are there. They're just they're they're getting in their own way, and we'll see if they can overcome that. Uh, let's talk about AHQ. Not for very long, mostly because I don't think they're worth talking about. I. If I sound a little bit bitter when I say that, it's because I am. I, I, I've I, mentioned this uh, before to some friends and on the Discord, uh, which all of you should be joining if you're not already, because it's a lovely group of people and we watch a lot of the world's games together. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But the biggest problem that I have with this team and the reason I continue to root against them as a protest vote as an LMS fan, because I do love Taiwan, I do love the LMS, is that Westor is still playing on this team in 2017. And, you know, funnily enough, you look at the stats, he has the best KDA on his team. He's only died three times. And I swear to you, I, I had to, like, rub my eyes and, like, triple check that stat because that sounded absurd to me. But he, to his credit... He doesn't die very often. You make the joke, oh, yeah, right, well, we built Bramble Vest, so that's why that was able to work out, right? Clearly, that was the answer that turned things around. But, you know, joke or no joke, it he, he does seem to understand, at the very least, how to not get himself caught out and punished in that mid-to-late game rotation-style play. Now, what you lose, and the reason that I can't stand watching the guy, is the laning phase. Negative 492, gold differential at 10 minutes. I can save you some time. There's not a mid laner who's worse than that. He's, he's not mechanically there. He loses every lane by a considerable margin, regardless of what the matchup should be. He's negative 19.0 CS differential at 10 minutes and over the course of those two games. I, 
I just, I, I can't, I can't talk myself into a guy like that. Um, especially when you have a guy like Chawi on the bench, who is just as good in the mid to late game, if not better. I actually thought that despite the loss, he had a really great reversal stun uh, in, a, in a fight behind the, the river against SKT. I, I thought he looked solid. I thought he stood up to, to Faker and Lane very well. And I thought that he played out the mid-game team fighting as well as we could ask AHQ to do against a team as strong as SK Telecom. You know, it, it, and, he, and he's rocked it. You know, I, I think that that's a guy, if you're starting him all three games, I think he does everything that Westor did against EDG, but might have given you a much better chance of beating a team like Cloud9 that is based around their mid laner. Westor can't keep up with teams like that. It's it's a non-starter. And the fact that AHQ cannot get over their ego, their their fear of losing their fangirls, whatever it is, to start the guy who gives them the best chance to succeed, like I, I can't get over that. It's it's maddening. It's incredibly frustrating. And I I cannot root for it. I cannot support it. I cannot I like I, I have no hopes for them in this next round because I don't I don't think that they're gonna have learned anything. I think that it's much more likely that AHQ goes 0-3 in uh this second day of group games than any other result. I think that they got very lucky that EDG threw away that game against them. It wasn't literally uh going into the fifty-two minute mark. We saw an eight point one gold uh gold lead for EDG and it just Two fights and it was over, uh, especially because it was at that barren pit that there was no need for EDG to force that one. They did, and it's, I mean, it's unfortunate uh, for EDG. It's nice that AHQ, I guess, was there and took advantage of it. I'll give them credit for that to a certain extent, but is it the kind of thing that I'm going to go back and say like, oh yeah, no, this is clearly, you know, this this great team that. Um, it's somehow going to be able to make it work. Um, I, I know I, I don't, and you know I, I think two of the biggest reasons are that Ziv and Mountain just don't look very good. Uh, they did have that one nice engage at that fight that determined the EDG game around the fifty-two minute mark, which deserves to uh, you know it deserves as much credit as it can get. Uh, but I think outside of that game, they've looked really rough. Uh, they, they've been caught out. They've been repeatedly beaten up. Uh, especially Mountain, I just think his early game is just atrocious. And I think he's being punished, as he should be punished. You know, Contracts is a guy who's, who's way too aggressive to get away with it. And obviously, against a guy like Peanut and SK Telecom, you're not going to be able to get away with a play like that. So I, I, I'm not surprised that... He's struggling, but it's not any less disappointing to see. It's certainly not any less disappointing that Ziv has been struggling just as much, if not more. Um, I expected him to hold up a little bit better against Impact. I don't know whether I'm happier about Impact or sadder about Ziv, but it's pretty damn close. And, I, you know... It, the way that they lost to SKT was just so one-sided. 
I don't know. It's it's rough for me to have hope for this team. It seems like a team that is outmatched across the board, especially against the quality of talent that they have in this group. Unless they get a throw, they're not going to win these kinds of games. I, I will say, if they're going to surprise me and they're going to take another win, I think it will have to go... Uh, for the same reason that uh, they got their win over EDG, which is that On pops off. Uh, On has looked very good, continues to look like the world-class player that we've been saying that he is for a while now in his career. And that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to see that he's still holding up. I'm glad that he had that sick Twitch game and that he could remind the world that he is really good at this whole League of Legends thing. Um, I wish that... Uh, AHQ put them in a position where they could do something about it rather than having the second worst early game rating at this tournament with a 39.5. That's You're not going to win many games with that. Uh, certainly not when you, you then struggle with some of the uh, objective control aspects of it. And when your lane efficiency is a whole 47.3%, you can't do it. You're, you're, you're not going to win these games. And, you know... If Chawi comes in, that's a difference maker. That is a variable that I think could change my mind. If Chawi is playing and he's playing the whole day and they build compositions around letting him team fight in the mid game, which is what he does best, really good at champions like Syndra, like Oriana, um, then they have a chance. They could upset a team like Cloud9 in that spot because they wouldn't be losing in the mid lane and that would maybe give them enough resources. Now Mountain can try to get Ziv going. Maybe Mountain at least has time to get away with a little bit worse of an early game. You know, there, there are things they can do if they have Chawi in. I don't think there's anything they can do if uh, things stick to where they are. So I I think this team goes 0-3. I think EDG beats them this time around. I think EDG could even go 2-1 this time around, depending on how the matches go. Um, they do play Cloud9 first, so I think that EDG 2-1 is very much in play. I, I don't see any hope for AHQ. You know what I do have hope for, though? Cloud9. I know I just said EDG can go 2-1, but I think Cloud9 can go 2-1 again, too. This seems good. This seems genuinely good, and that is not something that maybe every Cloud9 fan is expecting me to say because I've not necessarily been overly... Uh, you know, I haven't been showering them with praise, I guess, over the last couple months. And, you know, if you watched the LCS finals, I think that was fair. I, I don't think that this was a, a very good team for a, a certain chunk of the year. And I think the biggest reason for that is that Cloud9 have finally allowed themselves to just be Cloud9. I love this. I love that they have doubled down on an identity that they have built for themselves now. And that identity is, let's get contracts on a champion that could win the early game. Let's grab some early kills. Let's get some laning advantages. Let's snowball this thing. You know, we're not, right now in week two, we're seeing so many teams now opt for more aggressive strategies than we saw in week one. Week one is very Arden Sensor all the time, super scaling lanes, let's go. And we're seeing now Teams take this more aggressive step, take this idea, well, like maybe we'll win in 30 minutes and we take all of these things and really play around to our strengths. And Cloud9 was doing that last week. 
Their average game time was 32.3 minutes. They were there. They saw this coming. But they embraced it not because other teams were embracing it, because it was the quote-unquote meta thing to do, but because they knew what their skill set was. And their skill set involves a, a snowballing impact or snowballing contracts, getting his solo laners ahead, getting Jensen ahead, getting impact ahead, and allowing that to create the potential for them to carry. And, you know, there was a great quote by Rusty. It doesn't matter how much they have to spend to execute in the mid lane. The important thing is that they execute their strategy in the mid lane. And I don't really, I, I don't like quoting like people like Rusty a lot, but I, I think that he nailed it in that case. You know, I can criticize sometimes how much they commit to some of those early kills. I can criticize that it's not as clean as maybe a team like WE or RNG would be in this regard. But the instinct is correct. And that's the important thing to me, is that Cloud9 to me has not made the instinctive correct play a lot of times over the course of this year. They, you know, they were very much, well, we know that Jensen is this great late game team fighter, and so we're gonna be a late game team fighting team. And that's, you know, what they were in the spring, right? They were a slightly worse version of TSM. And I, and I mean very slightly, that best of five went to five games, but it was a back and forth because both of them are scaling late game team fighting teams. That's what we saw in the spring. And in the summer, that wasn't working because there were all these different teams that were embracing new identities and building up some you know new talent coming in. We saw Immortals really take a leap forward. And meanwhile, Cloud9 took a step back because they were trying to force contracts into a role that he wasn't comfortable in. Playing champions like Gracchus is not his thing. He can't he, he can't do it mostly because he his pathing is awkward. He's he's not comfortable being passive, which means that he steps out of line and there's not enough that gets done for the sidelines. And then you're left with, well, what's going on with impact? And for most of the season, what was going on with impact was nothing. Nothing was going on with impact. He wasn't having an uh any <laughs> I, I wanted to say impact, but he's not having any effect on the overall team's win or loss condition for most of the year. If anything, he was losing games because he would lose his lane significantly, and he wasn't getting any help because Contracts was playing so passively in the early game so that they could just scale up. And so he didn't feel free to then use his teleports up and you know make plays across the map. He didn't have the outplay potential by having resources there. And Certainly, Ray was a guy that we thought was going to evolve into the top lane playmaker, but that wasn't going to happen because you know, this is this is a team that had clear problems making that uh, making that work, and so now we're at the very different spot for this team because now we do have contracts playing these aggressive players, and I love seeing him on things like Graves. To me, that was a great example of them committing to this identity regardless of what tools they were going to need to work with it. And the Graves looked solid. He pulled it off. I was impressed by it. Um, but more importantly, it's the domino effect. Because Contracts is playing this early aggressive jungler, Jensen's able to get a, a lead in lane rather than coming in and, you know, his lead basing, 
being based purely on how much was he able to outfarm people. And because he has a little bit more of a lead, he's a little bit more free to, to go around and help with skirmishes, help with roams a little bit. Did you ever think that Jensen was going to be a roaming mid laner? Because a few months ago, that would have been out of the question. He's all lane all the time. It was one of his biggest weaknesses. Now he's willing to make plays. Because he's comfortable enough to make plays, because he's getting enough of a lead where he feels like if he lose, if he leaves lane for a little bit, it's not going to be the death of his lead, which is huge. And it's huge for Impact, because Impact's getting a little bit of love, and he's being put on champions because they're going for these more aggressive styles. He's not playing these super heavy scaling top laners. Sure, he's playing things like Nautilus, but Nautilus has outplay potential. Nautilus can do some damage. Um, it's working for them. I, I'm, you know, and you're seeing because of this, he's winning lane harder than any other top laner in worlds right now. 310 gold differential in 10 minutes. That's nuts. That's such a different player from the one who was holding this team back in a lot of ways in the regular season. And so if you're getting your, your solo laners ahead and you're getting your jungler in a much better spot, well, of course, that's going to correlate to some big moments for your bot lane. And I don't want to write off you know, the, the playmakers uh, that are Sneaky and Jensen, right? Like, Sneaky had a great Zaya game against EDG. I think Jensen looked like a star against AHQ. Those elements are there. Those elements continue to be there. And I think that that's something that they're going to continue to rely upon. Those are going to be your two primary carries for most of this event. You know, guys like Impact, when they play things like Shen, they're not there to be the hard carries, they're there to be facilitators. Contracts, as much as he's on these damage-dealing champions, he's, you know, his strength is in how he empowers his teammates, but that's just it. They are empowering their teammates. This is not the Jensen takes over the game because it's the Jensen show and, and you know, with four, you know, fellow players that all have to try to help in these big team fights. This is a system now. This is everyone working towards a clear, common goal, and it's an identity. And to me, Cloud9 have now built their own identity. It's not TSM's identity, because TSM is the best team in North America, and we should emulate that because we know that's what works. It is, this is what works for us, and that's what we're going to do. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I could not be happier to see this happen with Cloud9. I think they're a far more interesting team this way. Uh, I wrote an article for Unicorn that should hopefully be up, if not by the time you're listening to this soon, uh, on, that's going to be coming out on that this uh, Saturday before the games that that goes into this a little bit more deeply as far as you know, seeing some examples and, and some of the stats there. But I'm excited. I'm excited for Cloud9. And I'm excited to watch them play. And I can't remember the last time I said that. Even when they went to the quarterfinals last year at Worlds, I, I don't think I liked that squad as much as I like this one. And, and maybe it's because they just play a little bit more fun of a style, but I think it's because this is a different kind of Cloud9 team than what we're used to. And I hope that it lasts. I hope that we continue to see exciting things from them as we continue through this, uh, this group stage. Because if so... They're going to be a sneaky good team when we get to the quarterfinals. I think they could upset some teams depending on who they're matched up with. And they won't have to be matched up against SK Telecom. And of course, it's time to finally talk about the reigning champs here. And there is a lot to talk about. This is a good team. This is a really solid League of Legends team 
And of course they are. There are three-time world champions, two-time defending world champions. I don't think I'm going to be able to add much to the pile that hasn't already been said because we've been saying these things about TSM for years. Uh, they are the best team fighting team in the world. They're the only team in which you can see them down 10,000 gold and think, oh my god, they could win this. I, I don't have a comparison point to it. I, I you know, I, I try to think about, you know, sports allegories, you know, being like kind of reference points that I can use for the sheer amount of terror that Faker must bring into the hearts and minds of anyone that he has to play. I, I think the only, you know, maybe like Michael Jordan in his prime or like Tom Brady in, in his prime, which apparently is just going to go on forever, not that I'm bitter. Um, the guy just, he has this killer instinct. The moment that he sees you make a mistake, the moment that you disrespect how good he can be, he just pulls off this incredible play. And it didn't matter that he was 0-4-0 and zero at the time. He makes that amazing ultimate that just turns things around as they get this layered CC after layered CC. It didn't matter. Because what mattered was that Faker saw a play and there was like a 0.2 second window in which he knew he could make that play and they did it. And he will always be capable of that moment. It's why I always think it's very silly when we talk about, well, could someone else be the best player in the world? Well, not yet. Not not for a while. And I, I think that maybe we need to start getting to the point where we do this with traditional sports, right? Where there's a difference between a season MVP and the best player in the world at that time. LeBron James is the best basketball player in the world, but he doesn't win the MVP every year. Faker didn't have an MVP caliber year in Korea but he's still the best player in the world. And if you want to make an argument for anyone else, I, I dare you to find somebody that makes, you know, that you would want to bet against less. Like, I could not imagine placing a bet against Faker. I could not imagine being a fan of a team against Faker who needs Faker to screw up to win. It's, he's incredible. And, and he has proven it repeatedly and I think that he's surrounded by teammates that have proven themselves repeatedly. I think Bang is playing out of his mind this tournament. He's 14-1-12 so far. That's pretty damn good. His Twitch is awesome. I think that he can play any of the champions that are in the meta right now, but particularly his Twitch stands out to me as the best in the world, possibly. Deft might get a little bit angry with me for saying that, but I think it's a real con uh, contest. Wolf is among the best supports in the world, and I think he's tired of being underrated as much as I'm tired of having to point out how underrated he is. So I'm not particularly surprised that it's going as well as it is for him. And I think that, you know, while a lot will be said about Peanut and Huni not necessarily being the massive playmakers that we've uh, necessarily would put in the same pantheon we're putting the rest of SKT when we have these conversations... They are more than doing their job. Huni's winning lane on average by a considerable margin. Uh, Peanut is doing enough to get his laners ahead. Uh, it continues to amaze me how Faker is able to do so much while taking so few resources for himself. But I, I think that Peanut does a great job spreading the gold around too. Fun fact, Peanut right now earns less gold per minute than Wolf at this time in the tournament. 
That's ridiculous. And this is like the last thing you would have thought about a, a, an aggressive jungler like Peanut last year. Uh, and it just goes to show that SK Telecom is the way that they are because every single player realizes that the team is bigger than they will be. And they're okay with that. I, that's why you see guys like Blank, like Peanut, who are like, yeah, look, I don't care that you have to split time. Like, that's, that's fine. Split my time. Because I'm a part of this, this world championship team. It's why Huni and Untara didn't mind splitting time. And I'm sure Untara is heartbroken that he couldn't be on this roster, but he knows he's still going to be on SKT next year, probably. And his loyalty will be rewarded, and he'll have another chance because SKT will always have chances because they are the greatest team in the world until proven otherwise. And if they're not the greatest team in the world this year, they're probably the second greatest team in the world. I, I, th I think that this team is just so much fun to watch, and... I don't get tired of this team the way that I get tired of other best-in-the-world kind of teams um, in, in other sports, in other esports even. There's something that is evergreen about this team's success just because what they do is so valuable regardless of your situation. This is... You will always need... Guys who in the late game make smart decisions and win big team fights. It's always going to be valuable. I don't care what the meta is. They're, what they do best in outsmarting their opponents and constantly having this understanding of what the, the next thing they have to take to win this game will be, no matter what the deficit is, no matter what the state of the game shall be, that's the kind of intangible that you just can't put a price on. And it is clearly helping them out. In this situation, I, I think that it's it's made them a, a team that went three and zero here, and I think is going to go six and zero, despite the fact that that EDG game went so poorly. And I I do want to note that the concern with this team, and it's a fair concern, is that their early game is not very good, and that is absolutely the case. If you look at early game rating, SK Telecom right now are actually forty five point two percent. To put that in perspective, Immortals, after that 04 week that they just had, are at 46.6. SKT's early game is quite bad. Faker's losing gold in a lot of these lanes, and I, I think that ultimately you have to look at Peanut in particular right now. His jungle control percentage right now is a whole 44.0%. He is not taking all of the resources that he should be. Um... And, and they're not, you know, instead of going out to the rest of his teammates, they're not being taken at all. But but it somehow doesn't matter because they have a 54% lane efficiency because when they do get a play, they are so perfectly set up to take advantage of it because no matter how bad the early game is, they always have this next step to fall back onto. And maybe that changes in the next round. I think that, you know, obviously they're going to be a one seed, so we're not going to see them play uh, WE, it appears to be, in, in in that group. And they're not going to play Royal Never Give Up. But they could play either of those teams in the semifinals. And between them and between Longzhou, I, I think that those are three very strong early game teams that are incredibly decisive. And, and maybe able to punish 
SKT for being as passive as they are, for being as reliant on these mid to late game team fights, for being a team that that is so confident in their own ability to carry in those fights when it matters most that they are willing to you know kind of make those uh, you know to to leave a lot on the table to to leave a lot of room for their opponents to uh, to to get advantages elsewhere. But for now, I'm going to stick with the Kings. I think that they are the best team right now in the world. Because I don't know anyone else, even Longshu, as much as I love Longshu, they don't terrify me the way that SKT terrifies me. I don't freak out about their games and wonder what this means for, you know, the, you know for anyone the way that I think about it for, for SKT. This team is so wired in, so clearly zoned into this identity that I think it's going to make them as, as scary as ever when these playoffs roll around. And there's a reason they've gone to Worlds three times, and there's a reason they've won Worlds three times. And there's a reason that Unicorn has them heavily favored in every game that they play this week. Uh, one uh, one point one one against AHQ, which is at six point zero zero. Don't do that. AHQ isn't very good, and SK Telecom is one point two two against Cloud Nine, who's at four point zero zero. Also, don't do that. As good as Cloud Nine is, and as good as their early game has been, I think SK Telecom more than demonstrated in their previous matchup that they have the ability to deal with. Uh, a guy like Contracts in particular. Contracts is doing very well, and I think they're they're moving him towards a direction that is, you know, a year from now, two years from now, he's going to be more refined than he is right now, and he's going to be a much better player for it. You know, this is this is the right path, but I don't think he's there right now compared to, uh, you know, someone like a peanut. I think that's fair to say. And then a 1.27 against Edward Gaming, uh, who's at a 3.60. I, I think that that's... Very fair line. I, I think EDG any higher, I'd have to consider it because I do think that EDG is bound for a little bit of a bounce back and they do desperately need that last game. But A, it might not matter. And B, I'm not sure even if it does matter that that's going to prevent SKT from doing SKT things. Uh, just to, to wrap up these other three real quick, Edward Gaming, 1.58 versus Cloud9 at 2.30. Cloud9 at underdog odds to beat a team that they already beat while on blue side? I'll take that. That seems like really nice value to me. 2.3 seems like a pretty nice place to grab this Cloud9 team. Uh, EDG, 1.35 over AHQ at 3.10. No need to gamble on that. AHQ is really bad. And in the same way, uh, uh, Cloud9, 1.40 against AHQ at 2.85. There's, there's no need for that. AHQ is not very good. I'm just going to keep repeating it until AHQ realize it and actually change something about it themselves. I don't know. Maybe playing Chawi. I'm not over it. I'm not letting that go. But I am going to let this podcast go because this has been a 42-minute a breakdown of Group A. I, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I know I, I can already tell by the views that 
Uh, these came out pretty late. It makes it hard for you guys to necessarily follow along. And so I appreciate those of you who have. I'm going to make sure next week that my preview of the quarterfinals is out there with more than enough time to give you guys a thorough breakdown, give you time, guys time to absorb the content and really enjoy it. Uh, but those of you who are listening, uh, thank you. You do mean the world. And I want to keep this conversation going. So you should find me on Twitter at RedshirtKing. You should find me uh, on the Discord, which is in the description and is an awesome place to hang out and watch Worlds with some great League of Legends fans just like you. And of course, uh, in the comment section, I reply to as many of them as I can. Uh, so, you know, thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope that uh, you guys enjoy this second week of Worlds as much as I have. So until next time, goodbye, Internet.